Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Student of the Game. I am Kyle Nash, the Student of the Game. And hey, listen, if you're here, chances are you are a sports fan and we love to talk sports with you. And thank you for doing so with us tonight here on the pod. Listen, honor, joy, and privilege. Just got done earlier recording with our good friend Darrell Owens of the Legacy Maker Sports Network. Make sure you check out Legacy on Fire for uh for this particular um episode. Find it on Legacy Maker Sports Network, of course. Uh, I go on there, have a lot of fun with fellow panelists. Of course, Darrell was posting uh, one on there with Drew and James Brown. That was a lot of fun. So hey, thank you for inviting me on there. Just want to throw that shout out and thank you. To start off the episode, but a couple other headlines I wanted to touch on. First of all, a little bit, a little bit closer to me, a little bit more personal. Um, here in the NFL, the retirement of one Shaquem Griffin. Now, uh, I'm currently covering his brother with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, he's one of the top corners on the squad there for the three-point conversion up of course. But um, I mentioned Shaquem Griffin because. He was one of the first college players uh, uh, of note, in particular, that I uh, interviewed um, back in 2017 when I started covering 2017. A whole blue guy's name was Tim Milton. The gentleman, the artist who made the original behind me, Aaron Evans, uh, who painted that picture of me in my playing days. A uh, painting is far more classy than a picture, right? But, um, yeah, Shaquem Griffin, Griffin's retirement today, uh, coming down, you know, and, and it's very interesting. He, of course, announced that when the players could be a little something to, to, to let the world know it all. And, and really just wanted to throw something out. He may not have necessarily been a top flight, you know, making the headlines every week kind of NFL player, but it's very interesting the personality he is. Um, he's somebody who, um, with his twin brother, I mentioned earlier, the played at UCF, who graduated the year before I talked to Shaquem when he was a senior at UCF. And he was always a supremely classy guy, very nice human being. Um, even took time um, to run over in the media meetings uh, when I was interviewing him one-on-one. Just a super nice guy to be around, no matter who you are in that particular instance. And of course, with his particular limitation, obviously, um, he, he uh, lost one of his hands uh, early in life. And yet, he came out. I, first of all, I witnessed him get an interception as a linebacker during my year covering UCF. And on top of that, um, his first NFL preseason game, he led his squad in fact. Not something you typically see as somebody who has that particular ailment upon them, but, you know, the way he trained, the way he worked out, nonetheless, heck, his combine, his bench numbers were even fantastic. You know, granted, there was some special equipment he needed to do the job, but nonetheless, it was done. Uh, but most famously, of course, he was part of a Nike ad, uh, the one that came out in connection to uh, Colin Kaepernick. You know, sometimes to, to, to do anything, you have to risk everything, or I have to get that guy was exactly but uh, just to see him climb and get to that point. And, and in his mind, I would certainly think the playoff game where both guys, both twins, the Griffin twins, were playing with the Seattle Seahawks and met each other to get the back of one Aaron Charles Rodgers. 
is certainly a high point in this line because when it comes to this team, both Griffins, I would assume this is at least somewhat true. I think his biggest thing was to get to play with his brother. And, and once Theo left and, and ended up signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars, where he's done fantastic, um, he mentioned something in the article today in the Bears field that it just wasn't the same without his brother being there in the locker room. And, and you know, while he had other opportunities with other squads, Jets, just to name a couple, you know, obviously the Dolphins were a bit there. Um, he said that when it came down to it, not having uh, his brother there with him in the locker room, it, it wasn't as fulfilling. It wasn't what he wanted. Um, he said to his agent something along the lines, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but to paraphrase, unless the deal's with Jacksonville, I'm not interested in it. And, and you can't run on that particular vibe there, too. And what the Griffin Twins were to UCF, and I have to mention that, of course, not uh, only as somebody who covered them for the past five years, but starting um, this season will be my first full uh, college football season covering UCF with the black and gold banneret. So, just wanted to shout that out too, you know, shout out to Griffin on his assignment as well. And also, this uh, tonight being the uh, eventually we'll get into the AFC West preview, um, but it seems remiss to not mention it in pro prayers to the passing of one Lynn Dawson, an essential element of the early Kansas City Chiefs success in the Super Bowl era there. It was the Super Bowl that they won first with um, Hank Graham, the coach, and of course, you know, uh, Lynn Dawson would have been the quarterback who was participating all down the field as Lynn Scramble put it. That word completely misused, but it's a phrase that is now embedded in NFL history here forth and there now forever, right? So that that whole uh, um, franchise, one of my first, well, actually my first credential event was covering the Hall of Fame uh, induction of one fairly cool. He was a member of that team squad. Uh, I'm definitely sure I'll be talking to some of the guys here throughout the night about the past of one Glenn Dawson. Of course, I, I first knew about him uh, when he was the main host of the Inside the NFL uh, series. Back when it was him, Nick Bonacani, Chris Collinsworth, and, uh, <laughs> and of course, Gary Glanville. Um, so, you know, definitely wanted to throw that into the mix as well. And jumping over to the NBA real quick. <laughs> uh, Kevin Durant apparently is being forced now, the question's been asked, you know, at one point, will the owners still stack with all the power that the players have in the NBA? And of course, they have some of it to an extent. At the end of the day, there's only five guys that play at a time. Rosters don't go more than 13 players or so, typically. Um, but to see the Brooklyn Nets, any franchise in the ABA, frankly, answer to a superstar of Kevin Durant's magnitude when they ask for a trade and say, no, nah, bro, play the contract. I believe I took a note out of uh, Ace Ventura Pit Detective um, talking on the uh, Legacy Makers, uh, Legacy on Fire Sports that I was on. And, and, and basically, what the book the next did was give their best Ace Ventura Pit Detective. Impression and say to KD, put on that big ass size 13 and you it the homie. You're not going anywhere, you're playing. And I mentioned the big ass suit because he's the one that said that he would have made three to move on in the playoff series his first year had his big ass suit not been 
sure the point was um, he makes a different sort of presentation moving on in that particular series. But uh, I'll put it this way. Seeing a precedent for an NBA franchise to draw a line in the stand, especially as Ricky said in Durant, I, I think it's something that had to happen. Not that I'm against player mobility, but Durant has four years left on his contract. At some point, where is the line too far to ask for the trade? And again, I'm always going to be in favor of player mobility, you know, with, with the way things are going. We're complaining about players being millionaires when owners are billionaires. So it's tough for me to cry on that or die on that hill, cry that river, whatever, what have you. But in the case of Kevin Durant, with his tendency, as it seems to have bounced around, good reason to leave in, in leaving Oklahoma City. And I could see why he wanted to leave. Um, Brooklyn because of the whole situation there, but to see management stand pat is pretty cool. Unfortunately, living in Orlando, I saw what happened with Stan Van Gunny and Dwight Howard. That's going to be a wee bit intimidating and awkward, a, uh, how you say, an environment to, to work in after all. It's one of those, I don't think it's quite as egregious as when Dwight Howard kind of snuck in behind Stan Van and gave him a hug while he was actually talking with the media about Howard wanting him fired. Nothing quite that silly. But, um, you know, I, I, I'd be very interested to see what's happening with the Brooklyn Nets. I don't think they're a real threat. They win the NBA championship simply because of the culture. But at the end of the day, the talent level there, I'll put it this way. It's the East. Anything is possible. But for my money all the way around, I'm not putting the Nets in any real threat of doing anything. But enough of that NBA guff. We're here tonight to talk about the AFC West and ask the very important question is, are they the best division in the NFL? And of course, I have four very talented gentlemen coming on tonight, and one of them is ready to go here in, in the virtual green room, as I've come to call it. He comes in, listen, this is a guy I've been following literally for years. I was on a show with him with my good friend, Ernest EJ Christian. Yeah, I know. It's weird that I give him credit. I usually talk smack about him on this show. I can't, EJ. But had a very interesting conversation with him about Michael the Burner Turner lasting through a season and leading to some sort of success. And lo and behold, that very following season it happened. He says he doesn't remember the conversation. I don't blame him. I was still shocked it happened that way. But let me go ahead and bring him in. My man, Dave. What's up, brother? What's up, man? How's the sound? You hear me all right? Oh, man, listen, you're coming in crystal clear. You're looking good, too. You got the polo. Right Heck, I'll put it this way. There are guests nervous to show off their hair like you do. And for a guy that calls Ooh. him as often as he does, you're looking pretty sharp, my guy. You know, I just... I clean up all right for an ugly kid, my mama used to tell me, but I'd have to agree with her. I do all right. <laughs> That's what's up, man. Hey, listen, don't go too much with the humility angle on this show. I have too much ego. You need to join it. No. Oh, um, don't worry, man. I got all the ego for everybody involved. Everyone knows that. <laughs> my man. So listen, Booga, let me get, let me bring it in here. First of all, um, I, I, I opened the show talking about Lynn Dawson. It would be remiss if on the AFC West show we don't talk about his passing you got any interesting stories or anything like that with him you know of course uh, rest in peace to mr dawson that's a terrible loss to the football community and just the, the world for lack of a better way to put it he was a phenomenal person off the field as well i actually do have uh one little bit of a story and that would be uh at the senior bowl 
I actually was talking with NFL Network anchor and former Iowa Hawkeye quarterback, Paul Burmeister, and I'm standing there talking to Burmeister, and he's a good 6'2", 6'3". Um, I'm not, but we'll get to that in a second. And then I see, I see the legend that is Len Dawson walking towards us out of the corner of my eye, and I'm just like, oh, if he comes over here, I'm going to choke. I'm not going to be able to say the right thing. He comes over, he puts his hand on my shoulder, he looks at Burmeister, he looks at me, and he goes, well, we know that at least one of us wasn't a quarterback. <laughs> That's funny, dude. I'm about five, six, pushing high. So, I mean, it was a phenomenal moment. I talked a little bit about football with him for probably four to five minutes, just really kind, very encouraging. You know, he didn't know anything about me. This is before I wrote for CBS Sports. I mean, it was all that. Um, it, it was just a really phenomenal experience, albeit short-lived, but it was sad news hearing that today. The, the world has lost a phenomenal person and what was a phenomenal football player and signal caller for the Chiefs back in the day. Yeah, no, I can't front on that. And see, with me, my thing would have been I would have had to resist the wor- the urge to, 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 to get him to say, hey, Lynn, can you say the show's the pros watch for me? you know yeah of course of course there were so many things that went through my head and what i didn't want to do was the the 11 year old me when i got to meet kellen winslow and i just froze like a statue at the pro football hall of fame in canton i just froze like a literally like a statue but i i was happy to get any words out when it came to speaking with with mr dawson absolutely and hey, listen, that helped build the huge ego we're talking about, right? But Jay, you got to have a little ego to be on this show tonight. You're sharing the stage with Bri- uh, Brian Paul, Raider Rome, and Ben Albright. So you got to yeah. I don't, I'm not familiar with all those names. I look forward to getting to know them. I am familiar with uh, Mr. Benjamin Albright. That is my radio man crush, despite the fact that he covers the Broncos and all of the NFL. But uh, quick story, he was on one of the shows I hosted once, and I was kind of ogling over him after he was off the air after he was off the air and lo and behold he was not off the air and he got to hear how i talked about what a progressive and great dresser he was <laughs> the fact that i wish i got the inside information that he gets it was uh, it was one of those moments and then i said wait a second is he still here and i kind of hear a, a subtle but but there giggle and i was like well he's still here and he knows exactly how i feel about him now so it was quite the moment, but I, I'm very thankful for this opportunity and to be on a show with those other guys as well. I look forward to seeing their stuff too. No, listen, honor, joy, and privilege to have you aboard. Like you, you and Ben have it in common that I've been distant, like, you know, Twitter following you for some time. Uh, <laughs> I, I got the sign off from Ben that it wasn't creepy. So we're good on that. <laughs> oh, it Maybe. can't be creepy. The thing is, is if I didn't have my old school followers, I wouldn't have any at all. Cause I've kind of been off the map for a while. So it's nice hey. to kind of be getting back in the swing of things and, Twitter will be coming around for me, and I, I use my other social media platforms scarcely, but here in the next year or so, we'll be kicking back off big time. Hey, that's what I like to hear. And, hey, thanks for coming aboard to make this part of the, the – I'm not going to call it a comeback. I'm going to call it a reinstitution. A I can't do the minor setback for a major comeback. I've had some major health problems and was kind of flirting with the idea of, as to whether or not I was going to stick to being as in-depth as I'd been. And I couldn't, I just couldn't walk away. You get to this time of the year and there's so many things where you just feel like you're supposed to be doing this. Where was my mock draft? Where, where was my early schedule predictions? You know, where were those things? And I was still doing them, but I was just doing them in a notebook. Like I was 11 years old again. That kid was too scared to do this kind of stuff. The guy with the ego sitting right here before you, it's time to get this stuff rolling again. 
my man. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to see. Bringing in Booga. Listen, all I can tell you is this. Next time, I usually concierge the Twitter handle. I didn't get in for you in this time, but don't worry. We'll get a chance for you to shout all that out later here. Oh, no worries at all, man. Thank you, though. But let, let's get into this, my man. Um, Justin Herbert. Listen, I've said of Justin Herbert already, he is a top 10 worthy quarterback in my mind. Uh, but there are plenty of people who go with focusing on team achievements to uh, to focus on an individual. Oh, he doesn't have playoff wins. Oh, he doesn't have a Super Bowl. Well, first of all, I mean, there's plenty of people who would blame the Spanoses for that well ahead of him. Oh. Conversation. Um, but listen, Justin Herbert, give me your take as a Chargers guy. What do you think? Well, first off, I don't know where everybody expects him to pull all these accolades out of these 10-year, 12-year veteran accolades. It's his third year. He's going into his third year in the NFL. Pump the brakes on this stuff. And I posted it on Facebook, and I believe you saw it. You know, you'd think that all these pundits out there, and even the fans, some of them would, would say that Justin Herbert's been in the league for a decade or 12 years. He's going into his third year. The disaster that was Anthony Lynn as head coach running that organization from the coaching level is obviously now gone. The Brandon Staley experience has been quite the ride, and I'm really excited to be a part of that from the outside. Um, give the kid some time. Does he have some some weaknesses? Of course, like every quarterback. He is just like Tom Brady in that if you get pressure on him early and you're in his face, especially straight up the middle, he gets a little happy getting or a little quick to get rid of the ball. A lot of quarterbacks are like that. Some might argue that all quarterbacks are going to – get happy feet when they start to get pressured i would that, yeah right yeah I'm, you're one you're one of the excuse me and this is a term of endearment big uglies that used to make that quarterback look good and everybody else look good if we're being quite honest the game you know i take it that way baby you see the picture I, hey oh come on now I, I see the number is what i see i don't have the number on a jersey except from high school we don't have to talk about that that was so long ago i will say four foot ten 86 pounds my freshman year of football so I've grown up a little bit, but the ego, like I said, it's taking up all the space that it needs to. Though, back to Herbert, though, he's he's obviously a phenomenal talent. They've finally surrounded him with an offensive line that's worthy of a quarterback, whether that be a Justin Herbert-level quarterback or Phillip Rivers, who was there in the past, obviously, to transition from what was a really poor offensive line with a non-mobile quarterback in Phillip Rivers mm -hmm. to get the line set the way that it is this year for the Los Angeles Chargers going into this uh, season. It's really, it's going to pay dividends in early, I think. I, it's going to be tough slate, uh, sledding because you've got the Raiders and the Chiefs right away. And the Chiefs, you get on a Thursday night on short stay. It's a Thursday night game right after playing Sunday. But Herbert has the mental aptitude to handle anything. The kid seems unshakable. Is he going to have some moments? Yeah, there are a couple throws in some games that they lost that you'll say, gosh, you know he wants to have those back. But if you've watched even any of the training clip, uh, training camp clips from this offseason, he is his own worst critic. I, I kind of endear myself to people like that because I'm of the same nature. And um, the guy is going to be as hard on his, himself as anyone else is going to be on him. Rocket arm, super accurate, can literally make all the throws. That is thrown around just as often as the term beast. Everyone's a beast. This guy can make all the throws. No, Justin Herbert can really make all of the throws on a football field, on a, a baseball diamond, on a golf course, wherever it is, he can throw the ball any way and anywhere that you need it to be. 
I've got the utmost confidence in the kid moving forward. I expect him to have a very strong season this year. Maybe not 5,000 passing yards because hopefully he'll get a little bit of help out of a running game that was very poor, to put it uh, nicely, in 2022 or in 2021 last year. Yeah, listen, anybody who was able to lightsaber duel with Patrick LeVon Mahomes the second right out of the damn gate, listen, you see, Miss Hat, I saw what happened on 3rd and 21. I'm just saying. Uh, no, uh, so yeah. <laughs> you feel the pain and you weren't even on in my fanhood right then. No, right. But, <laughs> but with Herbert, I, I you, you know, you mentioned his poise. I'm glad you mentioned the offensive line. It gives me the opportunity to make my joke of I expect vegans in LA, not beef. And yet, but with all that in mind, man, what, what, <laughs> what, I, what I'll say uh, with, with this offense too, like you got, you got Justin Herbert doing the thing. But the weapons is a great are a great addition as well. Keenan Allen's been doing it for some time. I followed him even before it was cool. You know, that may even go back to Michael the Bernard Turner days almost. But I say all the above to say this when it comes to uh, the Chargers. Yeah. Well, I, I'll say this when it comes to the Chargers weapons. Um, I'm I like what they have there. What can you say about it? Well, obviously, you, you brought up Keenan Allen. He's going to go for 100 receptions, 1,000 yards. He's literally running the game. Respect the other guys like Torrey Holt that we used to look up to before their route hmm. running. Um, Keenan is fabulous in and out of cuts. Probably the best currently doing it, in my opinion. You look at Mike Williams, he's that deep threat that any NFL team would be happy to have out there. Big body. There's no such thing as a 50-50 ball. That's a 95-5 ball with Mike Williams. <laughs> one one guy I want to bring up who is actually going to kind of surprise some people, but not if you're a Charger fan, is number five, Josh Palmer. Expect him to really come in his own this year. He's He's one and he's not as nearly as good a route runner as, but he's a strong route runner, and he's not as big as Mike Williams, but he can get up for those 70, 30 balls, as I'd like to say with him, as opposed to the 95 fives that Mike Dub is catching out there. Um, another addition to, and I don't mean to move on from Palmer so quickly, but I'm a little skeptical to say he's a thousand yard guy, but expect him to get 40, 40 receptions around 700 yards maybe a half a dozen touchdowns. But the addition of Gerald Everett, I think, at tight end is a really sneaky one. They were lining this guy up all over the place. He was taking jet sweeps. He was lining up at H-back. They've got him flanked out in the slot. He's kind of that guy that they – I'm not comparing him to Antonio Gates. But he's kind of that guy that they've been trying to look to put in that mold where you could move him around and do some things with him. Look out for Gerald Everett for sure. I mean, hey, listen, this show is called The Student of the Game because I learned some things. I'm writing down Everett's name right now for future reference so I know to pay attention for it. That's how Give I do it. three touchdowns in week one. <laughs> okay, that's what's up. All right. Right on. But, I mean, bring me in there to listen. I'm a lover of defensive players named Bosa. Again, please note the cap. But that defense overall, I mean, I'm not here to tell you it's like Merriman, Donnie Edwards days, like great, but it's going to do the job. I, I would argue you got kind of that whole uh, Peyton Manning Super Bowl winning with the Colts kind of thing going where they're a good enough defense to support a lot of weapons. Oh, absolutely. A lot of off 
this is their offensive coordinators. They're looking forward to facing the Chargers. He's in. You look at just what already had Joey Bosa. I mean, you already brought him up. The guy is, he just keeps getting better. Literally each season he's played in, you see some type of improvement. He was already pretty darn good uh, by the, by the accolades given to him uh, the league. But when you add in Khalil Mack on the opposite side, and though we just found out today he's going to be out for two to four weeks, J.C. Jackson at cornerback is a huge addition. It's one of those things when free agency came up, you see that the number one corner on the field is J.C. Jackson. And as a Chargers again, uh, you don't need the Spano family to be willing to see the Chargers spend that kind of money on a corner like J.C. Jackson, being arguably the number one cornerback who was in the free agent market. To bring him in was just uh, just a huge coup for the team. You look at the addition of Kyle Van Noy, who's lining up at inside linebacker, outside linebacker. He's dropping all over. the. I mean, the guy is doing everything. To do a little more than that. Just re-up for a ton of money, uh, as we all saw. And let's hope that he stays healthy, because the whole NFL world deserves to see a healthy Derwin James. You've got mm-hmm. pieces all over the place there. Um, you really like the emergence of Asante Samuel Jr. He's looking to start possibly at opposite corner, although there's a little word through the grapevine that Michael Davis making a push now, especially with the injury to Jackson. Um, Michael Davis looks to probably start this year. And I will say this to Charger fans who know me really well. I have not written off Michael Davis, despite the fact that I have – basically held him very accountable for all of his mistakes in the past with a six foot two frame at cornerback like that and some growth and a little bit of a humble downfall while he was sitting there at the cornerback four spot for most of us off for him to have a better year, even in a reserve role, but with the injury or with the injury to Jackson and the, the scope that he's having uh, done look for Michael Davis to be counted on early and often, because I would imagine teams would rather try to pick on him than a Bryce Callahan, who they also added in free agency, who might be remiss if I didn't bring him up as well. A phenomenal slot corner who can play a little bit outside, a little undersized at 5'9", a real slight frame, but he can play. He's phenomenal instincts, great play, Rack. He's a guy that I look forward to seeing on the field as well. Absolutely. And, hey, listen, I was covering for the Dolphins Wire at the time. Um, the only reason why I didn't pay more attention to Derwin James than I did is because I was too busy being enamored by Minka Fitzpatrick. What a class at the safety position to have two that. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Derwin James too. My buddy and I would have a debate about which guy deserved the, the uh, rookie of the year defense concept more, but I think that's a one, a one B situation. And, and listen for my money, like I'm glad to hear these names coming sure. out of the, uh, the defensive back core for that, because other than Eric Waddle, it was Quentin Jammer, the last one that I remember. That should tell you everything you need to know right there. But before we jump over to the Raiders, it's time to bring in the section that people are going to be most critical of me about, the record predictions. Booga, how many games you got the Chargers winning this year? Oh, here we go. Here we go. You know, I I am not the eternal optimist like a lot of Charger fans are because half of them are always picking the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl. I'm normally (laughs) a middle-of-the-road guy, and and unfortunately for the Chargers, I I have them going 10-7 and this year. Um, I I do have them squeaking into the playoffs, though. I do think they sneak into the playoffs. 
nobody's going to want to face Justin Herbert, that offense, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, and Derwin James on defense, not in the postseason, especially if the Chargers running game can get going a bit and Austin Eckler and hopefully what will be the, the of Isaiah Spitter, uh, their fourth round draft pick. I'm really excited to see him play and, and kind of supplement that backup role, hopefully, and just grab the, the reins of it uh, right behind Austin Eckler. But I've got him going 10 and seven, making the playoffs, and you don't want to see the bolts in the postseason. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not far off from you. I just got one game different. I do have them making the playoffs. I'm not sure if they're going to make uh, win the division outright because I got a lot of teams with 11 wins in this division. <laughs> but um, I'm only one game off from you. I have 11 yeah. and 7. Uh, the schedule is tough in a lot of places and weaker in some other ones. You get to balance out playing some AFC South teams, so that's nice. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, docket on the schedule. Yeah, and that's the only reason nobody here is getting the 13 to 14 games because that's a tough schedule. But Booga, man, let the world know where you can be found as you're doing the thing, returning to form. Let the people know they want to see this coverage from you, man. I'm telling you. You know, first, thanks, Kyle, for having me on. I really appreciate it. You guys still find me on Twitter at Booga P O O G A E T E S. I really going back. I'm kind of But. Don't get to the coverage. You guys just a part of this. I admit being posed in form. Thank you to all of our fans of Bolt Blitz for, for sticking with us and being really patient with me. Um, I'm really excited to get things going again. And for you to give me this opportunity to come on air with people like Albright and the other folks you have on the show, it really means a lot to me. So keep doing what you're doing. Thanks again. Take care, guys. Hey, same to you. Thanks for coming aboard. Um, and yeah, we'll catch you on the next one, Booga Man. Until then, be cool. So, all right, Booga Peters doing the thing. Listen, I, I, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, I, I, I always feel better when guys that have been in it agree with a lot of what I said. And he's on my page with Justin Herbert for sure. Um, one game difference in the picks. That's not a bad thing all the way around, from what I can tell in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was definitely a cool thing over, uh, uh, overall here, um, working with Booga, but while I wait for uh, Raider Rome to jump in, um, you know, I I'm going to ask him about this too, when he gets in, but I'm wondering the news today, or I should say in the past couple of days that that has been, um, how you say proliferating through the NFL world is this whole thing where Tom Brady was allegedly going to be involved with the Raiders at one point. And, and um, as far as, so here's the thing. And I get, he, I get that Brady's from Southern Cal and, 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 and all that. And, and, and that's his home state and all this other happy stuff. But I don't really think it would have been a good fit for him for one. To play in that division. I know people that, oh, but Kyle, he wanted the challenge of facing off against Patrick LeVon Mahomes II. Okay, I'm the one that uses his middle name all the time still, but, but that's not the point. This whole thing where Dana White talks about um talks about that deal 
trying to happen. First of all, I didn't know Dana White was that involved with the Raiders, but hey, what do I know? I'm learning something every day. <laughs> um, but I think what annoys me more than that attempt to crowbar Tom Brady into that franchise is the fact that the statement was made when he was on the shop with LeBron James that well, he put it something along and say, you're going to choose this mother bleep over me. When will the Derek Carr disrespect end for the love of Pete? Everybody done forgot. I, I fear it was his rookie year or his second year in the NFL. I remember that. I don't remember that precisely, but he was on his way to being an MVP. Got the Raiders to the playoffs for the first time in a long time and gets injured. The only reason that year that the still Oakland, still Oakland, I like the sound of that, the still Oakland Raiders weren't playoff winners that year against the Houston Texans. And this is back when they still had J.J. Watt in that amazing uh, defense. Um, You know, still didn't have anybody remotely credible as a quarterback at the time. But they're this close to winning a playoff game and don't because he gets hurt and because Connor Cook had to take over. And everybody puts all that on Derek Carr. So yes, Thomas Edward Bieber Brady, they will pick that mf -er over you because you're 167 years old. No one expects you to still have anything in the tank. And as it turned out for you, Tommy, you went over to Tampa where they had an amazing roster and brought in Twiston, Tristan Wurtz to, re to protect your old behind and keep you in the game so you can win the Super Bowl over Patrick LeVon Mahomes II. I think everybody did just fine with that at the end of the day. But who am I? I'm not somebody who follows the, the Raiders so closely that I have the word Raider in my name. I was not the commander of the Black Hole Brigade, much like my guest, Jerome Butler. But for you not for you true believers out there, I call him Raider Rome. What's going on, Rome? Hey, Kyle. Long time no see. How you been, my friend? How you been? I'm good, man. Ooh, listen, I love hearing those dulcet tones that are your deep voice. I forgot how far. I did, yeah, show him the cap swag. I'm with you. We got both sides. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's, getting, it's getting close to that time. We're about two weeks out. I'm ready to roll. I have no doubt of that, partner. Listen, wow. The last, I, I, the last time I think you and I had an in-depth conversation about football, we were talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC Championship game. That should tell you something. <laughs> wow, yeah. That's been a very, very long time. It uh, looks like, hey, those guys are falling on very hard times, haven't they? <laughs> well, let, put, let me put it this way. Covering them like I do for the three-point conversion. Bing! Um, <laughs> Urban Meyer being removed is already addition by subtraction, and I'll leave it at that. Um, anyways, but no, we're not here talking about Urban Meyer getting excised. We're here talking about a different franchise whose coach was also recently excised for writing some personal emails last I heard. Derek Carr dealing with the John Gruden situation and all that was going on in that front office, and yet the Raiders still did a fantastic job last season. Please help me with the dis Derek Carr disrespect. Like, everybody's going a little too crazy about that, right? Oh, yeah. It frustrates me to no end there, Kyle. I think just for the way he navigated the rest of the season, Derek Carr should have been MVP just for the way he was able to um, just carry that team. 
Because, I mean, after week 14 in Kansas City, after we got blasted 48 to 9, I'm actually surprised we were able to actually able to come out and actually play decent football, and not to mention winning four straight and getting into the dance and giving the AFC champions all they can handle. We ended up eight yards short in that game. And, man, I don't like to, like, make um, excuses, but that controversial call on that Boyd touchdown, the Raiders could somehow win against Cincinnati. The sky's the limit at that point. Yeah, no, hey, listen. I mean, unfortunately, your franchise is no stranger to controversial calls, hashtag tuck rule. But, um, by the way, that's another thing here, too. The rumors involving Dana White and talking about Thomas Edward Bieber Brady coming to the then Oakland, now L- – well, no, actually, it would still have been L.A. then, too, I guess. The L.A. Raiders – uh, it, 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 it would have been wrong for that to have happened just on the tuck rule alone, right? Like that's that. No, just no. Like Tracy Morgan. Yeah, no. it, it could not have happened. It's like my mother always told me, if you ain't nothing nice to say about somebody, don't say nothing. And Brady Jr. is one of those people I will probably never have anything nice to say about. So I'm glad Derek's our quarterback. That's all I say about that situation. Oh, hey, I'm not trying to disrespect your mama making you say anything bad about something. We'll move off of that topic real fast. That's okay. <laughs> Man, listen. I think we're still a family show. I think we're still. <laughs> I mean, listen, except when Ernest Christian's on here dropping F-bombs. But, hey, that's a, that's a, that's an Ernest Christian thing. Whatever. You know, we may find out. <laughs> No, man. But listen, Raider Rome coming in. I love, the, I love being reunited. It does feel so good, my guy. Just had uh, our good friend, uh, uh, well, actually, no, I saw a good friend, Mario Wilson, when I was out there in L.A. for the Super Bowl, too. So I thought I'll drop that. Your former co-host for the NFC West recess. That must have been fun uh, back then. Oh, yeah. It was always good times with D. Will, Kyle. I always enjoyed doing the show with him. I always enjoyed doing the Black Hole Brigade with Jim Paskowitz. So it's always great talking about Raider football. And I'm kind of upset that I missed you because, like, that weekend that you came out there, that's when I was moving to Wisconsin. I got, well, I knew you was coming. I would have at least postponed one more week so we could have got together. Hey, man, I didn't know until I knew. That's, how, that's life getting credentials in the NFL, man. I know it, too. But listen, at some point, I'm going to make it up to Wisconsin. I got people there, too. Listen, I'm a nationwide reach. We're going to make it happen, Rome. Don't you worry about that. I'll take you and your wife to dinner. It'll be great. But anyways, let's get back into it with this, man. Um Obviously, your run game's strong. Josh Jacobs doing the thing. Not going to question that. Um, but over, overall, offensively, beyond Derek Carr and, and the run game, what should I get excited about for your Raiders, man? Well, it looks like the thing to really get excited about is, yeah, definitely. I think this is this is an offense that's been that's like really deadly right now. It's like you got matchup nightmares everywhere. You got Devontae on one end. You got the slot machine, Hunter Renfro, over on one end. And then you got Darren Waller. It's like, really, who can you guard here? And really, um, in this um, preseason, I've seen a couple of young receivers that look like they really could impress if they were given a chance. And Tyron Johnson and DJ Turner, they both played pretty well also. And they've actually played well enough that we were able to get rid of Demarcus Robinson. And I was actually looking forward to him being one of the big players coming from, over from Kansas City. And they've already gotten him um, on the chopping block. So the Raiders, that offense is going to be really fun to watch. I think my big concern, student of the game, is if we can stop anybody. Sure, that defensive line is dangerous when you got Chandler Jones and you also have uh, Mad Max over there. But the corners, they do leave a lot to be desired. And I was personally upset when we didn't bring back Casey Hayward because he played very well for us last season. So Rocky, I've seen Trayvon Muller, those guys are going to get on the job training really, really quickly. Yeah, no, no kid, no, no joke there, too. By the way, I can't help but notice the timing. You head to Wisconsin, Devontae Adams ends up in LA with your Raiders. 
did you do some espionage when you moved? Don't front on me. <laughs> Good point. Hey, hey, that, that made a lot of sense there, student of the game. Hey, that is a real, one of those Freaky Friday kind of things there. I head to Wisconsin and he heads to the West Coast. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 no matter what the truth is, I'm always going to have that tinfoil hat promoting that conspiracy theory. But anyways, um, <laughs> listen, man, something else I want to bring to you. I, I was saying, I, I went to Canton. Uh, for the uh, Hall of Fame induction a few weeks back, but something I wanted to, to to talk to you about because I didn't grasp it as much as I did until after the induction on how big a deal Cliff Branch being added to the Hall was for Raider Nation. Um, I didn't know that he was the origin of the speed kills mantra that is famous for the Black Hole uh, Brigade there. And and speak a bit to Cliff Branch, and if you can, and and what what that induction means for you as a fan. Oh, it was wonderful to see uh, twenty one finally get in there. I mean, the only thing that's really starting to hurt my heart is we are starting to get those Raider legends in the hall. It's just it's happening um, when they're not here to enjoy it. But I guess better late than never. So from that great big field up in the sky, I'm sure twenty one is happy that he got his induction. And he's one of those first just speed receivers. Hey, you just you let him run out there, and hey, the snake is gonna find him. So I'm, I'm glad he finally got his due. And if anybody deserves to be in that hall, it definitely is 21. So rest in peace, Cliff Branch, and I'm glad you are in the hall. And hey, another cool bit of of, of hall action there too. Like my first uh, my first credential event was at Canton with an induction ceremony. Lots of big names: Chris Carter, uh, Warren Sapp, Bill Parcells, but um, Jonathan Ogden, of course, Larry Allen. But Ray Guy among them as well, too. Something people forget about is the Raiders association with special teams. Like, I know Janikowski is going to get there at some point, as he damn well should. But Ray Guy also is a punter making it there, too. As much as people hate on the Raiders and, and, and for what their uh, reputation, air quotes, was, there's a lot of quality stuff there uh, in, in NFL history from your uh, now Los Angeles Raiders, yeah? Oh, most definitely. And when we're talking about punters, there's another Raider punter that I believe should be in the hall also. Let's not forget about my main man, Shane Leckler. That's a guy who can also um, turn the field with one boot of his leg. I remember one game against Chicago, he had about an 85-yard punt. And he really made me interested to watch him when the Raiders punted the football. Because you remember during the time when he played, I guess the Raiders punting the football. You saw that quite a bit. <laughs> so Leckler was definitely the man then. I mean, listen, the least you could do for making him have to work overtime with those Raider squad is put him in the damn hall, right? But enough of, uh, enough of the reminiscing, man. Let's get to the present. It's time to get to the part where a lot of people are critical of what I do, and as it should be. Let's get to the record predictions. Raider Rome, you're one of those fans, much like the one we had before here, Booga Peters, who is a fan in name mostly, but then can be a reasonable analyst Tell me, Rome, how many wins you got for the Raiders? Well, it kind of depends on how they um attack the first eight games of the season. I think if we can get out of that first eight, five and three, six and two, you are looking at maybe an 11-12 win season this year. But if they come out the blocks and they struggle a bit, it could go down to the wire. So I'm going to say the ceiling is 11-6, The floor may be 8-9. But Derek Carr, if he can come out, do what he needs to do, and this offense just comes out and plays as well as advertised. I think we are looking at about an 11-12 win team. I don't think we're ready to take Kansas City yet in the division, but a wild card definitely is, once again, within the realm of possibility. Well, hey, listen, the whole situation of what the Chiefs are going to do will be coming up here next when I talk to my guy, BP Brian Paul. But with you, my friend, I will say this. 
I'm going to go with your first number because you said 11 first. I'm only one game different from you. I have the Raiders at 10 and 7. They have a lot of games on the schedule where I'm like, golly, will they win that? You know, just a tough out in general for the AFC West. The term murderer's row gets thrown around. But, hey, when you look at schedules, like I look at the AFC West and I think to myself, well, at least they don't play the NFC West. Oh, damn it, they do. So, <laughs> exactly. Hey, New Year's Eve, I mean, New Year's Day should be very, very fun for both of us there, student of the game. Hey, oh, you guys are coming into Vegas, and I'm looking forward to it. Hey, listen, that's one way to ring in the New Year with some quality football, no doubt there, too. But, Rome, listen, thanks for coming aboard. Great time. Good to be reunited with you. Um, tell the world where you can be found and what you're doing nowadays, man. Oh, hey, I'm still over there on Twitter. You can still find me. At the Sports Butler, and I'm still over here on um, Facebook also. But if you're here in Wisconsin and you want to watch a Raider game, I'll be at B Dubs Week One over here in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, for waiting for my Raiders to beat down the LA Chargers. So if you want to hang out with Raider Rome, I'll definitely be there 3:25 p.m. Sunday, Week One. Yes, Raider Rome, Raiders football in Wisconsin, the cornerstone to every nutritious breakfast for my guy Jerome Butler, PA. <laughs> Raider Rome, great to have you back on. Great to hear the dulcet tones of your deep voice, and I'll catch you another time, my friend. Uh, it was always a pleasure, my friend. Anytime you need me, hey, just give me a buzz. I'll definitely be here for you. Copy that, Rome. Take care, man. So listen, right from that to another wonder. Listen, this guy is probably the biggest Kansas City Chiefs fans I, fan I know, but like Chris Lewis covering the Colts, this guy is based right out of here in Florida. And I'm going to bring him in from the shores of the St. John's. Brian Paul, a.k.a. BP. I got to tell you, dude, I actually struggle to remember your first name sometimes because I always call you <laughs> I was putting up the, I was putting up the, uh, the, the, the dang um, show schedule together. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, is it Brandon? What the hell is it? And finally remembered. So, man, no, listen, I joke, but great to have you aboard. Um, listen, man, let's chop right into it. It's a very unfortunate situation. I would have hated to have been sitting in your chair. I mean, my question is, why the hell couldn't this happen in the Super Bowl? Uh, when third and 21 for my 49ers. But when you break down so much that Keegan-Michael Key makes fun of you at the NFL Honors, oh, boy. <laughs> but, um, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're, they, they, they've been up and down of late. But before I get too much too far into the current edition of the Chiefs, uh, Lynn Dawson's passing yesterday. You as the resident yes, chief's plan, please take a uh, some time to say a few words in tribute, my friend. Well, I didn't realize that Len was a Hall of Famer twice over, once as a player and once as a broadcaster. The guy spent 30 plus years in the booth. Much of that with one of my radio idols and Mitch Holtis, uh, infamous for a touchdown, Kansas City. Oh, great. Um, you know, Mitch Holtis, one of the legendary voices uh, in sports radio, somebody that I only aspire to be to, um, down here in high school football when I'm doing it on Friday nights, but, um, no, Len Dawson was a legend and he was, he was the guy that really put Kansas city on the map from the AFL perspective. So this guy is a, is an old Dallas Texans kind of quarterback, eventually the Kansas city chiefs. And, you know, he was a legend before legends were born and that old school, gritty, hard nosed football kind of day. Um, you know, he's, you kind of put him in the, in the same thread as Dick Butkus, you know, when you talk about how they are attached to teams and, and, 
you know, Bolitnikoff and all of those guys, you know, this, this comes from that era of the sixties where, you know, Lombardi was King and everybody was second place. You're chasing the pack, but you know, these guys, the chiefs, you know, they, they went toe to toe with green Bay in the heyday. So Len, Len was a really cool guy. One of the favorite things that he used to say in his, uh, his broadcast. And I loved it. It's like, you know, I, I wish coach Reed would, would try to confuse the defense and just use play pass, you know, throw a play pass every once in a while, referring to play action pass. But, you know, he was old school in the way that he he described things. And um, a charitable guy had a scholarship fund in Kansas City, hosted a couple of recipients uh, as recently as 2019. He had retired from broadcasting a couple of years ago, so it was really awkward not hearing him along Mitch Holtis. Um, but, you know, 87 years young, we've lost a legend. Um, and he goes to that big Hall of Fame in the sky right now. Uh, you know, with, with, you know, the hunt family that's up there right now. I mean, the hunt family loved him too. You know, he was an icon of their franchise um, and, and one of the legendary Kansas city quarterbacks, not to undertake what Patrick Mahomes has been doing in KC, but he's got a long way to go before he can reach Len Dawson's level of greatness. Cause that, that, and that was a different time too, the 60s. Sure. So God, God, God bless Len Dawson and what he did for Kansas city. Um, just a, a monumental guy and a, and a great statesman of the city as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I agree with you from that standpoint. Listen, Patrick LeVon Mahomes II might have earned middle name status on this show, but we're still young in his career. Lynn Dawson, yes. a statesman for the franchise. But um, uh, Holston, you said, remind me of his name, uh, BP. Mitch Holtus. Yes. Mitch Holtus. Thank you. I didn't want to get it wrong. But you being a broadcast con uh, a connoisseur as you are, I'm going to pop quiz you here on the student of the game. Holtis or Deckerhoff? Go. <sighs> See, Jesus. no softballs here. This is football, hippie. Come on now. <laughs> I'm going to go with the decks because, listen, Gene Deckerhoff is a man from the shores of the St. John's. Boom. He's the original voice from the shores of the St. John's. Jacksonville's own. So, and, and, you know, Tampa can borrow him for one more season. And after that, forget it. He's retired. I, I, well, not not to beleaguer and bore the people watching tonight with uh, my, my history lesson. But, you know, I go as far back with Gene Deckerhoff um, with Vic Princey as his color analyst. And Vic Princey was one of those quarterbacks. And, and well, actually, I believe he was a quarterback. But he was one of those players that goes back to Burt Reynolds and oh, the Sunshine Scooter Lee Corso. So yeah, the back, those old Seminoles from back in the day. So, you know, Gene, but, you know, if you put now in terms of energy, Holtis has Deckerhoff beat because Mitch can go wild in the broadcast booth. And I've seen video of him. He doesn't sit. He stands up oh, in the booth. Okay. Yeah, he's he's up. Yeah, the, the man and, and you could see him like and, and I, I do that, too. I actually have to I'm doing color right now, so I kind of have to you know, contain myself, but every once in a while I'll pop off. One of the boys will run a 60 yard. I'm like, see ya. You know? <laughs> so I, I get it, but, but nonetheless, oh. no, just great, great history in Kansas city, man. It's a good and, time to be a chief regardless. And let me be full circle on this where I first got most familiar with Lynn Dawson as a kid was him being the, uh, the lead host on the show, the pros watch inside the NFL. And when they played those clips every week before YouTube was a thing and that was kind of out of the rotation, when they played the highlights, that's when I would hear Holtist. And I'm still impressed, even though I've never been a Chiefs fan. Touchdown, Kansas City. That cadence is amazing. And I'll leave that at that. So, yeah, <laughs> he, he could have been a rock musician at some point. We just don't know it yet. 
I want to rock. Yeah, that that I'm not ruling it out there. Well played. Maybe. <laughs> okay. No, me me either, man. Me either. Bringing 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 that knowledge and noise here into the confines of the Kumo, as you know it, my friend. Here, oh on yes, this game podcast. Listen, um, here's the whole thing with the Chiefs. Obviously, talking about quarterbacks is pointless. You have Patrick Levon Mahomes the second. I got my joke about Keenan Michael Keen. We're good, so I can move over to the offense. Um, Tyreek Hill, obviously. Listen. I know he was a big part of the offense, but listen, when some goofy franchise offers you literally five draft picks for this cat, you go with it. I get that. But I kind of like it from this standpoint is they're actually leaning into the part where teams are sitting back and daring Patrick LeVon Mahomes II to throw underneath them. What say you? Am, am I on to something there? Am I crazy? What? You're not going to stop Travis Kelsey no matter how you slice it. The man's huge. He he moves like a lumbering dump truck, but he gets open. And he's got that chemistry with Mahomes that every tight end should have with their quarterback at some point. You know, it's one of those things where it, it it's like Brady and Gronk. It's that level of relationship. The chemistry is there. And when you've got a guy who says, no, come on, Pat, we're going to do this in a playoff game do or die, and the dude gets open, what are you going to do? You can't draw that up. Andy Reid did not draw up that play. Travis Kelsey drew it in the grass and said, Pat, remember that thing we did on Wednesday? Yeah, that's what we're going to do. And it worked. So, yeah, you can dare Kansas City to throw underneath all day long. They're going to continue to do it, and Kelsey's going to continue to find it open. Now, will they do that consistently is the question. You've lost so many weapons in Kansas City. Tyreek Hill is not just the only thing that they've lost. Byron Pringle, the guy comes out 42 catches last year. He's targeted 60 times. They didn't just ignore the cat. And, you know, he caught for over 500 yards last year. That's a loss. Tyreek Hill, yes, he led all receivers with 1,239 yards last year. That's a lot of production to give up with his, you know, his longest run, 75 yards, by the way, last season. But losing Byron Pringle is, is a major loss. Um, you've lost, you know, some good running back talent in, in Daryl Williams. He goes to the Cardinals this year. So you're going to have to have, you know, Demarcus Robinson, another staple at wide receiver, not exactly the most productive, but consistent. He's now playing for the Ravens. So my question to most of chiefs kingdom right now is who gave you guys permission to sell off your team? Like who gave you guys what, who thought this was a good idea? Why are you going Chicago Cubs on me here? You had it. You had Madden. You had it in 2016. The roster was there. If you follow baseball, you have watched every single player from that 2016 World Series title team is gone or on their way out in Chicago. Now we're looking at the Kansas City Chiefs. You win the Super Bowl. Now those guys with those Super Bowl rings are one at a time leaving the franchise. This is a mistake. This is something that makes Bill Belichick great. This is what makes Nick Saban great. They keep the teams together for when Saban's case for as long as possible, but they keep that core group together for as long as possible because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And how in the world could you get rid, you know, I well, or, you know, I just, I don't understand. Now, now again, Byron Pringle wasn't exactly the most productive on the team, but Mr. Consistency now playing in Chicago. So you got to have guys now like Nicole Hardman who have got to step up. Now he's not exactly the, the slowest guy on the team, but he's not Tyreek Hill fast. Consistent, yes. Targeted the man 83 times last year, 693 yards, a pair of touchdowns. Can't argue with it. 
But now he's got to step up and, and be much more effective in the game. The other thing that I, I worry about on the offensive side of the ball, and you could probably agree with me on this one, uh, Kyle, that Andy Reid's offenses are not run-first offenses. Oh, certainly not. I mean, by just design. look at Westbrook and his time with the Eagles. Say no more. Yeah, no, they, they are not run-first offenses. And the trouble with that, even though the NFL, by and large, is a passing league, although I would contest that it's becoming a little bit more balanced than it used to be now because of the running quarterbacks, they have to account for that third hat in the backfield. You know, and, and running backs more often than not will come out in the in flare patterns or in the flats, or sometimes they'll square in over the middle, but and, and be utility receivers. But honestly, Andy Reid's run game has been negligible at best. They really have not had a solid running attack to offset the magic that is Patrick Mahomes and offset what Travis Kelsey can do in the center of the field. So it's going to be incumbent upon Big Red this year to find the run game. Now, has he gotten the offensive lineman to run block? I don't know. I haven't really seen much of a, of a positive line from Kansas City. A lot of it has been kind of, well, we're going to go ahead and block for as long as possible until Pat rolls out. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and that's really what it is, is until Pat moves the pocket, we block for as long as possible, um, you know, or it's a designed run. He's going to roll to, you know, student body right. So, yeah, they don't really have a running attack. Now, to Clyde Edwards-Alaire's credit, he is a speedy running back, somewhat durable, is excellent out of the uh, backfield, will line up at wide receiver and slot formation. So he is useful there. But his bread and butter was, you know, Bayou Bengal. I mean, run between the tackles, SEC offense that he was going, you know, with SEC defenses. And I don't think he's being utilized as that smash mouth running back because Reed has chosen to play more of the air raid attack, which, like we've said, you know, it's been effective, but now all the good component parts have been sold off to other parts of the NFL. And, and you know, now we get draft picks in, in favor of Tyreek Hill. Oh, well, goodbye, Cheetah, man. Oh, we enjoyed your time here. Please enjoy the Miami sunshine. I doubt you guys will be a playoff team this year. Miami doesn't have the horses. Oh, so, but you, know, you haven't been feeling all his props for Tua? You think that's just grandstanding? I think it's grandstanding because, listen, no matter how you slice it, Tyreek Hill is very talented, the fastest man to ever come out of Oklahoma State by far, you know, a, a Big 12 Hall of Famer for sure. But Tyreek Hill has a little bit of Chad Ocho Cinco drama to him. He's got a little bit of little bit of like, uh, you know, now I'm not saying I'm not talking Antonio Brown level crazy. No, he's not going to strip nude and walk off the field, but <laughs> he, he's got a little bit of a prima donna ism about him that. I think it's one of those things where you need to humble thyself before the throne and understand that, yes, you are the greatest thing since hot SHIT. But at the same time, you got to understand you are not the center of an offense. And, you know, that was true in Kansas City. The the one two punch that Pat could always go to was Travis Kelsey. Tyreek sure. Hill was a sideshow in comparison. Now, did he go deep and find him scampering down the field, running 100 miles an hour with everybody in his dust? Yes. But that wasn't a consistent thing. You know, the consistency came with the square and routes over the middle, the skinny post. You know, it's it's always Kelsey over the middle, Kelsey to the sideline, Kelsey over here, you know, Edwards Alaire in the flat or, or, you know, Hardman over the middle, something like that. It really wasn't this big bang play offense because Kansas City's shown that and they've been keyed on. So and and then again, Andy Reid in his window dressing. <laughs> 
there was there's there's a couple things I would bring back into to calm uh, Chiefs Kingdom to to your criticisms. All valid, all valid, all valid. Don't get it twisted. I mean, listen, me trying to 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 debate you air quotes about the Chiefs is is you know I need to cue up Sean Connery from uh from the uh, Untouchables, just like a wop bringing a knife to a gunfight. But right. here's how I, here's how I would re- rebut a few of those. First of all, you compare. Uh, or you say you would like to see what Bill Belichick does in keeping a core, bro. That guy slaughtered some quality players from that damn roster. Let's not act crazy. And you mention also Tyreek Hill as more of a lottery ticket while Kelsey's clearly the day job. If you're going to slice it while it's still hot and get something for it and five whole draft picks for it on this, I shan't front. I feel your lament, but by the same token, eh. Now, some of these other players, the Demarcus Robinsons for the world, totally feeling you on that. Um, I actually had the opportunity to see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the Fiesta Bowl um, when they played UCF. So that was fun. I know what he could do. Definitely a thing. I mean, you know, hold that tiger, Brandon Paul. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Go tiger. Go tiger. Go tiger. That's right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, so no, with all that aside, any opportunity to do an Ogeron impression is a good one. Leave me alone, people. Anyways, um, and I would also come back a bit with this too. Like, and man, listen, I'm not going to front on Kelsey or any of that. I don't think it's so much that they can't run the ball. I think much like Bill Belichick in a certain portion of the Patriots day, um, when the way they ran was long handoffs by a screen pass. I think that Andy Reid chooses not to. And with the, some of the defensive line talent in this division, who can be blamed? But I like if you have at least the threat of it, you know, that's probably what you're looking for. And I completely 100% sign off on that. Yeah, because you've got to have a certain balance to your offense. And this is something that we, we, we're we seeing in, in the high school game. I know this is not much of a comparison, but I like to see what the kids are doing because more often than not, one of these days, these kids are going to be people that we're talking about on a podcast just like this. One day. Yeah, and, and, and most of the time, it's it's all about the the heroics, you know, and 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 but at the same time, what you're up against. So, you know, most high school defense or most high school offenses, especially in Florida, they're run first offenses. They will run constantly and and then aerate it later. Whereas the NFL is on the other side of the script. They will they will pass first to set up run in short yardage situations. Um, the trouble with that is that you still get very vanilla. You still get very, very easy to to key on. You know, you can you can do an Andy Reid and change the shades and go from Venetian blinds to curtains and 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 flip this around and, and put the fancy leg out to make everybody think you know fragile. But you're not gonna you, you know you're gonna see a pass. You know that that's the thing. You can still run zone reads. I think Patrick Patrick is still a very good zone read kind of quarterback. It's just that you, if you don't present the threat that you're going to run the ball and run it consistently for four, five, six yards and stay within the chains, people are going to be like, nope, we're going to, we're going to pass blitz the entire time. We're going to force you to get out of the pocket and make one of those circus throws. And despite that constant ability to be a wet noodle and to contort his arm into the most ridiculous positions possible Bro. and make those throws, he's yeah. not going to do that forever. Right. You know, as quarterbacks age, you will find that even Tom Brady doesn't do some of those fun tricks at 45 years old anymore, you know, <laughs> despite taking 11 days off. But whatever, you know, it's it's those things that that are going to diminish with time and they're going to be 
they're going to be less accessible to him as he comes on. And then as you see Chad Henney come up from the sidelines to, to come in as a backup quarterback, you know what I'm saying? You got to mix it up, man. And, you know, the, but the weapons are still there. The talent is still there. They're still the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're still going to be amazing this year. But I think we're starting to see the sunset of the current era of the Chiefs. Now, I'm not saying they'll never be a playoff team again, but the explosive offense that we've been used to seeing, the strange and unusual plays with wild throws and, and amazing. I think we're going to start seeing a lot less of that as time goes on. It's going to become a little bit more what we're used to seeing. And then defenses are going to key on it. They're going to figure it out eventually. There's a couple of D coordinators, especially a few in Baltimore and, and Buffalo that are chopping at the bit to write this down and go, uh-uh, we ain't going to let you do that no more. And not to mention the fact that the Chiefs defense itself is Swiss cheese at best sometimes. Well, and I was, yeah, I was wanting to transition to the defense. But before I do that, I mean, the good news is with all those draft picks, maybe they can find some more of those guys to make the Chiefs great again. Um, you know, I only do that to reference red, not the person that's behind that slogan. But, you know, that's why you get draft picks is to perpetuate something great with new blood. I mean, I'll, I'll give it that much credit. So while your concerns, I, I agree, are valid, you you tend to be that grounded fan. Um, you know, I'll put it this way. I'm not ready to 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 cry panic yet, because if there's a coach that's earned a little bit of faith in my mind, it's Andy bleeping raid. Uh, him and Bruce Arians, but Bruce Arians is retired now. But Reed, <laughs> I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Reed certainly some slack because you know the adjustments. Mean I mean, heck, he found success with Alex Smith. What, uh, come on, bro. You know that that is what it is. But let's let's take it to the defense. You you know the Chiefs in the past have had defenses of varying prowess. Um, I can't help but notice how much attention they paid to it in the draft. And I got to tell you, I liked it. Because if they're going to tool back on a few of their lottery tickets on offense, I would like the defense to pick up the slack on their end as well. And um, certainly their defense is better <laughs> than what it was with you had rookie Patrick LeVon Mahomes II, and they literally averaged like an in more than a football field <laughs> worth of uh, offense allowed at some point there. Right. So, um, but what do you think about them retooling through the draft with the defense? I liked what I saw. What say you? Well, the losses are apparent honey badger don't care. And he done left the building. So, mm. you know, losing honey badger and honestly in, in, in Tyron Matthew, you don't necessarily lose a major skill player in the defensive backfield, but you lose an emotional leader, right? You know, Honey Badger is Honey Badger for a reason. And he got those guys hype. You know, he was fire in the defensive huddle and he very much was a, a motivational leader. So losing that is probably going to be more tragic than losing Tyron Matthew, the the cornerback, you know, because he really did not do what everybody hoped he had done in Kansas City. He wasn't a dud, but he kind of undersold, in my opinion. You know, I mean, still 60 tackles last year. You can't argue with him being on the ball. You know, he was a bit of a ball hawk, but he was not really the interception threat that he could have been. I mean, he did pick off three passes, you know, and did return one for a touchdown last year. So there was some production. You're not always going to catch the ball on defense, let's face it. But, you know, he really wasn't the beast that everybody kind of markets him. So I hope he goes to New Orleans and sort of finds himself again 
and but keeps that leadership. You know, that that's a big loss for the defensive huddle. You know, Anthony Hitchens, he's hung it up. He's not going to play anymore. Um, one of the best, actually the best player left out of some of those core players right now is Nick Bolton at linebacker, linebacker. The man's an animal. Um, he he has high hopes and Chiefs Kingdom has high hopes for him. Uh, this year at the linebacker position because they need somebody at that linebacker position. Quarterbacks are getting way too mobile. It's not just Lamar Jackson anymore. You know, they're really starting to move pockets and force, you know, defensive linemen to move around a little bit and linebackers to be a little bit more savvy. So we need to have a big year out of Nick Bolton. Uh, Legereus Sneed is another one at cornerback uh, outside of uh, La Tech, the 6'1", 192-pounder as of last year. That's another one I'm looking to see to have a big season this year. Cornerback play, and I'll say secondary play for Kansas City, has been kind of suspect throughout the last couple of years. For such a high-powered offense that Kansas City has, their defense sure loves to watch them play a track meet, and that's something that's got to change in Chiefs' kingdom. They've got to start dominating games and the way that you do that is you lock it down on defense and more often than not you'll see zone coverage with holes in it the size of kansas and and possibly you know tight windows that are more narrow than lake okeechobee but they're still throwing through stuff i mean it's it's just it kind of you sit there and you're you're baffled you're like isn't our secondary supposed to be much better than this? And when they underperform and, you know, getting burned like that, like let's go back to the, the AFC championship game. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. The, uh, the divisional round um, Kansas city should not have let that game go to overtime. Plain and simple. If you're a championship caliber team, your defense is going to win you championships and the defense almost blew it. If Kansas city's offense wasn't so damn good, the defense was going to give the game away because the Bills had no reason to be in that game at all. It shouldn't have come down to a game-tying field goal in overtime. The Chiefs' defense should have locked that down in the third quarter and be skipping and scampering all the way to the AFC title game at that point. Should not have mattered. But to Um, your point, the way they attacked the Chiefs was they went through the lower part of the depth in the lineup. They attacked Gabe Davis. They they don't hit their their top receivers. They they let Stephon Diggs do his thing. He obviously gets covered by the tough guys. And then Gabe Davis literally has the performance that nobody's had before in a playoff game. And, of course, I have to bring up Gabe Davis because I I cover UCF for the black and gold banneret. But with all that in mind, like, I, you know, and I, I believe it was uh, some of it o- was over um, the corner's name is escaping me, but I think some of it was over Mike Hughes, also a UCF product in and of himself. So, Correct. I mean, you know, it's night on night crime at that point. But the punchline being this, you can see the, the that what Marone was thinking in attacking them with Gabe Davis, to your point, they went for the depth or the lack thereof, and they were able to swim, ironically. Yeah, it's no, it's true. That's the, the one thing that Kansas City has never been able to do consistently, you know, even even the lead up to the championship run and then post Super Bowl title. They've not been able to cover the deep ball very well. Now, the front seven has been lights out sometimes and they'll get some pressure on you. Now they will contain you. They're an excellent run defensive team. So it's, it's very hard to run on anybody. Like we've been saying in, in general, but I, for all the talent, I loved watching that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But for, but for all the talent that we had in, in the secondary, it underperformed. It, it did not do what, what it should have done. And now, and like you, your point about the draft picks, I'm hoping that that kind of backfills some of that need 
and, and get some talent on the field that are going to be those ball hawks that are going to go and jump in passing lanes and, you know, maybe risk a PI every once in a while, get aggressive on defense. You know, we don't have a whole lot of blitzing cornerbacks and then that's not really, you know, the Kansas city MO. Uh, but honestly speaking, pass coverage has got to, got to change. You know, if you're, whether you're dropping back into cover two or you're just playing, you know, zone, whatever you're deciding to do, you got to stick like glue to these guys. Cause you know, like you said, it's Devon Diggs is going to run all over you all day long and, and you're just going to be playing catch up. And I think that if that doesn't change this season, you're looking at a Kansas city team that may slump to nine wins. Yeah. But, but to your point there with balance, I, I think they're trying to add both of uh, both those aspects offensively and defensively. But yeah, you mentioned in passing, uh, I'm going to go over to the uh, record predictions. I heard you say nine wins. Is that where you're at? That that is kind of the floor for me. Um, I honestly think that the AFC West, since that's the broad picture we're talking about here, I don't think that anybody in the West has the horses to keep up with Kansas City. The division is ours and you're never going to take it away from us unless Denver decides they want to play football again. Um, now I hear that's coming. You know, there's some, there's some chatter in the room that Denver's made some changes. And of course, awesome. you know, Washington Wilson. Yes. Yes. So, you know, and, 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 and let, let's not take away from the LA chargers for a minute. Right. They kind of have been the bane of Kansas city's existence and kind of keeping that perfect division record out usually because they end up winning at Arrowhead, ironically. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's true. Kansas City beats them very well on the road, but suddenly we go to Arrowhead and, and L.A. comes out with a win, and I'm like, how the heck? You Some know? of the best Thursday night games come out of this division, particularly with the Chiefs, and even more particularly, if it's not the Broncos, it's the Chargers that are making it a good game. With the Broncos, you don't expect it so much lately because, you know, I don't put stock in Brock and any quarterback after that. That's an Osweiler reference. We do that on this show. But with all <laughs> that in mind, listen, I, 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 for all the people that talk ish on Thursday night games, first of all, stop calling yourself a football fan if you feel that way. And second, some of the best games on those Thursday nights and questions were like what my BMBP here mentioned, Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs Chargers. And when I see that on Thursday, I'm not going to lie. I'm more inclined to have some beer in the fridge and have a late night ready. I'm just saying. No, no you're absolutely right. And they do play some of them. And they lately they played some of the best games division wise, no matter what day of the week it is. True. So your, 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 your top tier teams in the AFC West right now, the team to beat is still Kansas City, but a not too distant second place is LA. You really got to keep your eye on these guys this year. Sorry to my friends in, in uh, Oakland, I mean L.A., I mean Vegas. I mean, where are you now um, with your Darth Vader stadium, or should I say dark helmet, because I don't think that the Raiders have figured it out yet. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I hope, certainly, as the rivalry goes, that Kansas City still has the Raiders number at that point, and they just continue to pound them in the division. But they haven't quite figured out the puzzle yet. And Denver, to me, is rock bottom right now. They are the bottom of the division and will likely stay that way until they somehow figure out whatever formula for success is. You know, the the top end for me, Kansas City is at, at least an 11-win team. I think they duplicate the success that they had last season at the at the very most. Um, I do see a division title in their future, so we're, we're not talking about them not making the playoffs at all. I definitely see them as a two-seed at, at the top end of it, if they end up having a, you know, a flustered season and they don't come out the gate slinging, you know, we are talking about a division runner up, maybe a, a wild card spot right behind the chargers though. So that if you're talking about matchups and games that you have to win this year, obviously the chiefs need to beat 
the Chargers, you know, and they need to beat them handily. We need to take two from them this year if we want to make sure that we secure the division outright. And by um, the way, so that- you mentioned coming out swinging BP. Let me tell, let me walk you through the uh, schedule quickly. You open at Arizona with the Cardinals, then you have the Chargers, Colts, Bucks, Raiders, Bills, Niners. I could argue that the first break you have is the Titans if you have faith in the Colts and then the Jags the week after. Um, and you host the Jags at Arrowhead. So, like, then, like, I think the next weakest game you have is a back-to-back and 15 and 16 with the Texans and Seahawks, which, I mean, let's combine those for a bye week, essentially, especially to compare to what you have going on. And that, sir, is the reason why, in my mind, that your Chiefs, you have them at 11 wins, I have them at 10, and I think it's some of those bonus games that you're stuck playing um, that, to me, make the difference overall, right? Because um, you have the Bills on there in the schedule. They, one could argue they're the top team in the AFC if your char- if your Chiefs rather are not. You have the Bengals on the schedule. Good God. I mean, there's some stuff here that doesn't break your way, and I only have one game different than you at 10 and 7, and I guess by, by default, I have the Chargers edging you out by a single game at 11 and 6. I mean, you can't rule that out, can you? You can't know. And and the other thing too, you can't rule out Cincinnati yeah. either. You know, that's mm-hmm. your top three teams. My, my top three power rankings in the AFC right now are bills, chiefs, Bengals. Both I, only say the, I only say the bills because, you know, those guys are hungry. They, they walked away from that game and they're pissed. So, you know, that, 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 that should have been your Super Bowl matchup, honestly, Buffalo, but in terms of power rankings, the way that teams are shaking out right out the gate, heading towards week one, you know, Bills, Chiefs, Bengals in, in the AFC. Those are going to be the three top teams to beat and very likely division champions all around. Um, you know, and in terms of seeding, you know, I definitely think the Bills are very likely to be that number one seed, get that first round by and home field advantage again. So I, I don't doubt that at all. But you can't erase you know, Cincinnati from that fold now. Remember when the Bengals were nobody? Remember when the Bengals were that other team in Ohio that stunk like rotten fish coming out of the lake? You know, <laughs> that's changed now. You know, it's not about turkeys flying out of helicopters and Dr. Johnny Fever going, yeah, babe. No, Cincinnati's a force to be reckoned with now. So you have to take them into account in the AFC race. I also would look at that schedule too. And I'm going to call it a trap game between Tennessee and Kansas city coming off the bye week after being in Santa Clara the week before I call it a trap game. The Titans are slippery. You you never know what version of the Titans you're going to get in that instance. Just ask the Jaguars. Correct. So I think, I think that's a dangerous game. Yes. They're going to go to Arrowhead and probably pounce the Jaguars that that's a a foregone conclusion. I'll be watching that game with glee at a local bar in Jacksonville laughing is the only chiefs fan in the building, but (laughs) I think that Titans game coming out of the bye week is going to be tricky and, and you got to pay attention to that. Yeah. Anybody that runs the ball that strong in this generation's NFL, keeping Patrick LeVon Mahomes, the second off the field, you got to think about that. I'm with you on that. Um, Man, listen, this is what I'm talking about. Talking some football, talking some chiefs football, the NFC or AFC West talking, Holtus and Deckerhoff and WKRP references. I got football and radio and a little bit of rock and roll. And that's what you look for when you deal with the shores of the St. John's BP. Great time all the way around. Love having you aboard. Of course, it was fun. You'll be back again. You just don't know it yet. And uh, listen, tell the people where you can be found, my dude. 
Well, you can find me five days a week doing the sports wrap on Captain and Company in the morning at approximately 10.55 every day on that business day. I love doing the sports wrap. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash BP on air on Instagram, bp.on.air. And now on Twitter. Yes, I caved at BP on air. You can also find me Friday night. Actually, sorry, Thursdays. You can catch me on the Screaming Eagle podcast, the official podcast of Fleming Island, of Fleming Island High School Athletics. And on Friday nights for the next 12 weeks of my life, I will be broadcasting high school football with my friends at Florida Sports Broadcasting. And we appreciate all that we do for uh, high school sports. It's been a great run. Kyle, I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm looking forward to the next time. And uh, when you're up this way again, knock on the door. It's time to go to the church of Bucky's. Amen. Amen. Oh, hey, listen. Hey, Bucky's. First of all, and I, I, listen, I say unto thee that it was Ben Franklin who said that beer makes us. What is it? What is it? He says it's um, beer is proof that the good Lord loves us and makes us all very happy. And that's great. But I also heard of protein being the building block of nutrition of the body and you don't get that protein without eating meat but meat is not anything any fool can eat the lord intended a more divine means of consumption in the form of the bucky's brisket hail bucky's nobody's gonna drop that joke except for you drop the damn sauce (laughs) (laughs) oh god I mean, I bring that up. My car was smelling like vinegar for the next day after that. Okay. Oh, Just my goodness. Well, then I but, realized no, no. the barbecue sauce wasn't so bad. But uh, no, absolutely. Anyway. No. Thank you again very much, my friend. And uh, go, Chiefs. And uh, I'm sure we'll uh, see you guys uh, very soon. Thanks for having me, man. Honor, enjoy, and privilege, man. We'll see you next time, BP. All right. Brian Paul, BP doing the thing in the building. Listen, that's always fun. We had a fun. We had fun with Booga Peters. We had fun with. Raider Rome, Brian Paul, and now and come another new addition alongside Abuga there. My guy, Ben Albright, stepped in, talking some Broncos with us. Let's go ahead and jump to that here directly um, and make that happen. And um, listen and enjoy, my friends. All right, and as promised, straight out of KOA News Radio in Denver, a Twitter follow I've had for years. I hope it's not creepy, Ben, but uh, listen, me me asking you were bored. You were one of those cats. I didn't expect yes. I got it, and I'm stoked about it, and it's I'm looking forward to it already. And so, but listen, welcome in Ben Albright. Good to be here, man. Good to uh, good to see your face and your voice. Hey, yeah, exactly. No, I, I had a lot. You know, it's it's fun to talk about stuff beyond pumpkin spice lattes and actually <laughs> some football in here too. But speaking of pumpkin spice lattes, uh, this has got to be a unique experience for you, Ben, covering the Broncos, because never have I heard so much hype surrounding the food service of a stadium before. Talking about some guy with let him cook or who is this Russ guy? Oh. <laughs> They mean Russellington Wilson. Like you, you, you probably don't know this, Ben, but this is a big deal. You're talking about Rusty moving around. He's a big deal on this show. He gets the middle name treatment, as you heard. How? Uh, let, let's just get out of the way. How good does he look in, in camp and all of that? And how big a deal is this? Because I mean, the Broncos have been a quarterback away for how long exactly? Well, since the last Super Bowl, to be honest. Uh, 
you know, over a half a decade at this point, Super Bowl 50. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a big deal. Um, you know, Russ certainly brings a cachet and a pedigree that they didn't have. It's it's not a Drew Locke situation. It's not Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, uh, or any of the other myriad of quarterbacks they've had post Peyton Manning uh, that have just been brutally bad uh, and held this team back despite great defensive performances. So, um, it, it's been good. He's looked pretty good. Uh, he's still learning some things, still figuring some stuff out. I mean, the offense that they're running isn't exactly what he's used to. So, um, there's, there, you know, there's some things that they're still kind of, kind of working on trying to get him to play in structure, maybe a little bit more, um, you know, prolong his career and all that, which is something he wanted. So, uh, you know, a little bit of that going on, but yeah, they want to, they want to let Russ cook, uh, you know, to wit when the, uh, uh, when there was a malfunction at the stadium this summer and, uh, so, you know, some of the seats burned down, I think they, they, the joke was that they let us Russ cook a little too early, but, uh, uh, they got all that stuff at the stadium repaired now. And, uh, Russ has looked pretty good. They're not going to roll him out in the preseason, but, uh, you'll get to see him, uh, on that Monday night game against Seattle. Yeah. Maybe he's more involved with the first food service group than I thought. So be it, but Hey, uh, listen, you got to try some recipes during the preseason. If you're going to end up cooking and speaking of cooking, there's a particular set of ingredients in, in, in the offensive uh, part of the, the structure there that I find incredibly interesting. I actually got to cover um, Jerry Judy pretty cl closely. Um, he came to the uh, Citrus Bowl uh, playing against the uh, the Michigan Wolverines, of course, playing for his Alabama Crimson Tide. And just in warm-ups, I saw him all elevate off the ground what felt like seven to eight inches to snag a ball. I got a picture of it. And then, you know, he, 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 I could say he and Gabe Davis and that rookie class were two of the biggest deals in the NFL. He's only continuing to grow. Um, but that offense in general, the, the ingredients that Russ has to cook with, you have to be impressed with that, yeah? Yeah, and I, I think you've, you've probably got to say that uh, this is – one of the more talented teams he would have ever had. I mean, of course, they've had talent there before, whether it was Doug Baldwin or, you know, obviously DK and Tyler, things like that. But uh, this team that he has now, I mean, Cortland Sutton and he have a definite connection, and that's going to be probably wide receiver one for the Broncos this year with Judy as the second guy. And then it gets deep from there. I mean, although you lost Tim Patrick, but you still got KJ Hamler, uh, Kendall Hinton, and this Montreal Washington kid, the rookie uh, out of Sanford, has looked absolutely special. So, uh, they, they figured to get him involved a little bit as well. The running backs, you got a great one-two punch with uh, with Javante and Melvin Gordon. Um, you know, you look at the tight end position, a little bit of a question mark there because you got the rookie Dulcich who's been hurt, and of course Albert Okwebenam. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of how that shakes out. And then the offensive line, it's got to be the best line that Russ has ever been behind. Um, you know, left to right, you're looking at Garrett Bowles, Dar Dalton Reisner, Lloyd Cushenberry, Quinn Minerts, and then uh, right now, Calvin Anderson at the right tackle, though Billy Turner back in practice uh, may take over that job. We'll see. So um, you've got, you know, you've got a pretty talented offensive line overall. Uh, you, you know, you got to figure that if Russ was able to make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what, before, uh, what, what is he able, to, what is he going to be able to do with all these guys, plus a defense at his back that finished top three in the NFL last year? I love that we're sticking with the cooking analogy here. And then you went to before I got a chance to ask. You see the painting here behind me with the low offensive lineman in the crowd's position there ready to attack. I'm all about whatever beef Rusty has in front of him because you and I both know that's something he hasn't had since, I don't know, like pork chop retired and um, um, Max. Oh, shoot. I forget it. Max Unger. Thank you, Unger. All I could think of was Kruger. That's not right. Yeah. When he went to the Saints. I don't think he certainly you mentioned he has he's had a talented group and you mentioned the receivers he had back in uh, Seattle. Sure. He's definitely not a, had an old line and like this in front of him since his uh, previous Super Bowl days, uh, to say the least. So with all of that in mind, well, first of all, before we jump to that, let's talk about this defense, too, because they've been good for a minute. Even, 
you know, with good talent leaving, like Vaughn Miller departing to go chase the ring, um, you know, with, with the Rams, which, I mean, I don't blame the guy. But you still have a stand-up group up there playing defense, still worthy of excitement in its own right. I'll ask you. You're the expert. Yeah, uh, this defense figures to still be the strength of the team, even with Russ added. They've got kind of a chip on their shoulder, I think, because of the national narrative surrounding the offense. And, you know, with Vic Fangio leaving, that somehow the defense is going to fall apart. This defense is good. Uh, they're being underestimated nationally, I'll say that. Uh, most people have listed as kind of a middle of the road defense. They're going to be a top 10 defense. I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll just tell you now, um, Justin Simmons back there at the safety position, uh, you know, an all pro caliber safety. You've got Kareem Jackson at the other safety position who rotate with Caden Stearns uh, at the corners. You've got Pat Sertan, who's, who's probably a top 10 corner already in year two. Uh, you look at uh, the other corner, you got Ronald Darby, K1 Williams in the nickel. Um, the edge rushers uh, when healthy and starting would be Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory. Mm-hmm. Although Baron Browning is going to be backing them up after moving from inside backer, along with uh, draft pick Nick Benito and, and Malik Reed, who I think Malik Reed's going to get cut when they come down to 53 and then they'll bring him back in week two. So they don't guarantee that salary. Otherwise, they're on the hook for three million for him. I don't think that's happening. Uh, and then up front, you know, you got some beef up front. You got Mike Purcell. You got DJ Jones, who they brought in. You got Draymond Jones. They've got Deshaun Williams. They've got they've got some beef. Um, they're on that line. So last year's, you know, inability to stop the run, they're hoping that'll be a thing of the past. Although in the preseason, the second teamers and third teamers really haven't held up uh, with both, both Dallas um, and Buffalo just kind of running wild on them. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned their, their inability to stop the run. Like I feel like when it comes to battling this particular group, there's also a situational aspect of it too, right? You're, you're uh, playing teams that are, you know, big pass threats, big scoring threats, right? Your KCs. People, as much as they want to talk smack on Derek Carr, has proven, you know, that he's seen that we got a good quarterback. Easily the best quarterback division in football right now with the AFC West, thanks to Rusty's arrival. But, uh, yeah, I think I think situationally, too, now that they can participate more in shootouts, teams will run the ball less against them. And, you know, that'll be less of a thing. So it's it's situational, too. I think all that comes around full full circle there as well but i mean the big question is we, we i just mentioned it earlier you have all the talented chefs this is the amc west thank you for helping with the food analogy i just came up with this this is an, a, an 18 week episode of iron chef in the west with the competition you have there um even despite all that i, I see a a, a, t, a a division that's good enough to possibly put or at least be in the hunt for all four teams to make the playoffs i don't know if that happens we'll get to that part but is this team, in your mind, equipped to beat Justin Herberts and Patrick Mahomes' and Derek Carr's? Well, they beat Justin Herbert. In fact, I think he and Drew Locke split every game they, they played. So if they could win with Drew Locke, you got to figure Russell Wilson will help put a little on the uh, gas. I, I, you know, with the Chargers team, man, it, it's so weird because they, they added all these names, but I just don't know in the end. The Chargers figure out a way to charge her every year. And, I, you know, I just don't know. Plus – I don't know if I'm running an offense out there with Storm Norton at the right tackle. I just, I, 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 to me, that's malpractice with Herbert back there. You know, you went out and got Slater at the left side. Go get any other, literally any other right tackle on the planet. Uh, having Storm Norton at right tackle is the equivalent of having me at right tackle out there. It's, it's just embarrassing. So, um, I, I don't know what they're doing with that. And then last year, the Chargers had the same problem. You could run on them. You could run on them all you wanted. And I don't think they did much to address that. They did bring in Sebastian Joseph Day, which I thought was kind of a steal. Um, but the other things that they added were all, you know, uh, attempts to help them in the pass game. 
Uh, Khalil Mack, who's had declining production for two seasons, uh, you know, and then they brought in a, a couple of corners. Uh, you know, they brought Bryce Callahan over from the Broncos, who you know he'll be healthy half the year, and uh, and, and uh, so it's just in JC. So it's just um, it's just a tough. It's a tough. I need the Chargers to show it to me before I believe it. You know, I know a lot of people put them at the top, but I need them to show it to me before I believe it. Yeah, and I mean that's similar to the conversation we had leading up to this part of the show with Booga, Booga Peters. Like he's definitely going to have. Uh, a word or two about Justin Herbert and all that because we you say himself he's good not protecting his, his malpractice I mean hey I'm not saying he's Andrew Luck that's the extreme version of what happens in that kind of situation but yeah I'm definitely reading what you're putting in there um but then the schedule man listen the another thing that the Broncos did I don't know if this was part of the uh the recipe or not keeping with the food analogy Ben we're on fire uh, I don't know if this is part of the recipe or not but the fact that Rusty now is with Denver, they don't have to play him in Seattle. So at least the NFC West draw is a little easier, you know, and what everything with, with Kyler Murray, you know, and, and, and um, that, that receiver core with D hop, De Deandre Hopkins not being in there for the first six weeks may not necessarily impact this game, but um, it's, it's something that'll, you know, impact the uh, mentality of the team. I think, you know, going with Arizona, I mentioned them. And then, of course, the Niners defense is amazing. You know, of course, the Rams defending champions is a reason for that. This schedule is not simple, Ben. But with even that in mind, I got to ask, how many games uh, do you think uh, the Broncos chalk up in the win column here this year? I don't think 10 games is outside the realm of possibility. You know, I think uh, the ball bounces the right way. You get to 11, the ball bounces the wrong way. You, you fall short and you hit nine. Um, a lot of it, I think, hinges on the opener at Seattle. You know, you got a team that's it's, – uh, that's still learning a lot of this stuff. You know, you got a brand new quarterback, brand new offense, new play callers, new coordinators every at every level of the ball. And and by the way, none of those coaches have ever done that before. Your special teams, DC, OC, and head coach have never been those positions before. So I think there'll be a little bit of a learning curve early. The good news is it's mostly a soft schedule. You got Seattle, uh, the Houston Texans. Um, you know, you get, you got uh, a bunch of games early. I think you get the jets in the first part of this first six, seven games of the season. Um, so you get, you know, you're going to have some, some games that are winnable, uh, in that first half. And then after the trip to London against the Jags, it gets, it gets pretty brutal. Um, you, you got a pretty, pretty tough schedule after that. So, um, you know, I, I it, it's possible. I, I put them at 10 wins. I've seen people put them at 11, seen people put them at nine. Uh, if Russ goes down, it's going to be ugly, but, uh, if, as, as long as you got Russell Wilson in that defense, I, I think 10 games is a good, is a good barometer. You know, Ben, I love everything you said there so much that I have 10 games here already written down. They would say what they say about great minds. I have a, a point here that you also made that the opening of the season is a pair of appetizers that should be relatively easy to get started with cooking, right? I mean, if you're going to tune up against a pair of teams, it might as well be one where Russ has the opportunity to shine against his old squad and then the Houston Texans, who are there in their own set of disarray. I don't think you could ask for a better start than that when it comes to trying to tune up. And like you mentioned with this coaching group, get out of my brain, Ben. Ah, no, I haven't written down. I promise. It was going to be a lot of stuff I would have brought up if you didn't. But that's why you're here, Ben. You know your stuff. And, and I love everything you had to say about that particular group. Again. Um, there is one game I have circled that, that for me is kind of a little odd. Listen, for me, they're split in the division. I put it all the way around uh, uh, down that all these teams are going to go three and three with each other because they're all that good. I did the same thing because the cards and, and the Niners, somewhat unpredictable as all that is, two and two out of the West isn't so bad in my mind. The game that I think might make it 11 um, uh, or, or nine or, or, you know, like we were talking about is the Colts. 
I really don't know that's how that's going to go because for me, what's really suspicious is I think these two teams are kind of similar with one small caveat. I think that Rusty's more likely to be asked to throw the ball than Matt Ryan would, right? But, I mean, am I crazy if the Colts and the Broncos, they're kind of close and now their teams are made up, right? Right, and I think you. I think if you're the Broncos, you get lucky because if I remember correctly, that's a home game for Denver. Uh, I believe on like a Thursday night or it's a primetime game. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe it's not Thursday. Maybe Sunday. I'd have to go back and look at my schedule. But um, I, I believe that's one of those games where it's a it's a primetime game. And, uh, yeah, and you get it at home. And so, like, I think uh, um, you know, for the Broncos, it's later in the season too. And at that point, Matt Matt Ryan's Matt Ryan's old. You know, at that at that point, he might have a little arm fatigue, you know, in the back half of the season. It's kind of been the knock on him. So you may get lucky with something like that um, against the Colts. I, I think the Colts on paper, if they were to play week one, I think I'd give the edge to the Colts. But as you get on into the season, you have Matt Ryan throwing in the elements later in a season at mile high, a little gas, a little arm fatigue. I think the, the, the Broncos may have a better shot. Yeah, no, and listen, that arm fatigue concept, we saw that happen with with uh, Matt Ryan's former divisional rival in the great Drew Brees. I think one thing that's different, MVP candidate from 2021, Jonathan Taylor, is to- is toting the rock. I mean, if they're doing things right, it's a situation where they're just setting up a little bit of play action action there for uh, Matt Ryan. No, the, the, uh, the, the fatigue darn thing makes a lot of sense. I, I have it circled. It's a Thursday night I'm making time for, and it's one of those moments where I'm glad I'm not dealing with a college game or the uh, student of the game pod going on Thursday nights because we go on Wednesdays. So there you go. Um, then, man, listen, I could keep this going for a while. A lot of great insight. I didn't have to do a lot of talking because you're basically talking like you're reading off my notes, but you know it in your head. You even knew when the Thursday night game was. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Albright knows the stuff. Follow him on Twitter, all the socials. Ben, tell the good people where you can be found and what you're working on, brother. Oh, uh, you know, always working on the Broncos stuff and whatever ever scoops go across my uh, come across my desk. Tom Brady not going to be on the Mass Singer, uh, so spoiler alert. There you go. Um, and you can unfollow me on Twitter at Albright NFL. It's a dumpster fire. Uh, I'm I'm usually uh, you know run my mouth when I shouldn't be. So um, you know, I hopefully people enjoy the hopefully people enjoy the Twitter stuff. Hey, listen, it, it beats it there. The, it was better than the last season of Game of Thrones. I'll tell you that. I, there you go. I know Low bar to clear. I, I, <laughs> my man. No, listen, great having you on. Great talking some ball with you. Um, and hey, I got you in the time I promised. I didn't have you run over. So hey, go back to your scenic rustic joy. I know you're moving and getting all that right. Is that is that a is that a chair swing you're sitting in? I don't know. It looks comfortable. I but it's <laughs> a chair. <laughs> I wish. Oh, okay. I couldn't tell, but it, at any rate, man, thanks for coming aboard. Hope there's a next time. And, hey, with Rusty making noise and as much as we're fans of Russell Carrington Wilson on this show and how many MVPs he's been robbed of, including 17 and 19, I said it, um, you know, I'm sure there's a, there'll be an opportunity if your schedule allows, man. So thanks for coming aboard, Ben, and uh, hope you can make it on again sometime soon. Absolutely, anytime. All right, man, great stuff. And listen, great to have Ben Albright on. And also special thanks to not only him, but Booga Peters, Raider Rome, Brian Paul, PP from the shores of the St. John's. And listen, everybody had a great time talking up what I think is the NFL's best division this year. And yet somehow I have the Chargers winning it. But hey, listen, to Ben's point, the Chargers may charger, but to Booga's point, there's some aspects of that team that's better than... 
and a lot of the charges of recent memory. We're talking back to Philip Rivers and Michael the Burner Turner days, Donnie Edwards, Sean Merriman, uh, Eric Weddle, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. I think I made a Quentin Jammer mention at one point too, right? So with all that in mind, listen, look out for a great division. I have everybody winning double digits in that division. You might see four participants in the playoffs from the AFC West. That's a possibility. At least as I predicted it so far, I don't know. I haven't broken down the schedule yet. But in a couple weeks, this time on September 7th, you'll be getting the final predictions show before the season kicks off. But Kyle, what about next week, folks? We got one more division left. That's right. The NFC West. We're keeping it out West. We're finishing it out West. And that should be a good time all the way around for all involved. But hey, special thanks to all my guests. Like I said, strong stuff coming out the gate and all the way to the finish. Loved every minute of it. Thanks for coming aboard, guys. But until next time, everyone, class dismissed. 